0: hello again everyone this is dan duva it's slgnd the sheriff Lawless, and some guy named dave podcast presented by the d hotel into phase three training camp has begun for the golden knights the coaches and players are on the ice together inching closer to hockey games moving along in the nhl's return to play plan july 30th an exhibition game against arizona then the round robin begins august 3rd vegas against dallas but how did the owners and players reach the agreement to get here labor peace through 2026 we digest it all and hockey decisions how will pete DeBoer handle the goalies what are the lines looking like who gives vegas depth we also look at how the Knights match up against the best of the West. Lots to cover here on this 75th episode of SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D-Hotel. And now, here's Dave. I haven't heard that in a while.
1: Well, I don't know the last time us four knuckleheads were on a podcast together. It's been a little while. It's about time. I would say it's been too long because it's been too long. <laughs> Dave Gosher, Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless, Dan Duva, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast coming to you from our uh, our four separate homes as we continue our uh, social distancing here. Uh, of course, sld brought to you by the D-Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. So... Um, Boys, great to uh, kind of get back together here. And the, and the league took a huge step uh, earlier this week on Monday with entering Phase 3, the Golden Knights, along with the other 30 teams uh, entering Phase 3, which is training camps, uh, which all get underway. And for the Golden Knights, of course, um, they've had a busy three days at City National Arena. Gary, I guess I'd, I'd kind of start with you first. In the bigger picture of this, there was a ton of work. I can't even imagine the work that's had to go into this Really, over the last four months, uh, bigger than just okay, let's return to play, and this is what the rules are going to be, but also they 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 renegotiate, they modify the CBA, they get an extension on the CBA. How did all this kind of come about, and how did we get lucky enough where we might be able to be seeing some hockey here over the next few weeks?
2: Yeah, I think you really have to. You know, I'll give a lot of people credit, you know, and and I think the players deserve credit. I think Don Fear. Deserves credit, but honestly, Gary Bettman, I think has stepped forward here. And, you know, in this, if, if these commissioners are wartime commissioners, uh, Bettman has handled his league by far the best. And I think his decision early on, I think he knew from the very beginning, he needed the players and he was going to need the players for everything he was going to do. And if you go back and listen to all of his interviews, the verbiage is always in conjunction with the players, in conjunction with the players. Every step along the way, he he got the players involved. If the players had voted no to the return to play and to the CBA... They would have been saying no to themselves because they were as much a part of the creation of those documents as the league was. This was a partnership. And uh, I think, you know, uh, even the fact that they kept the door open on the hub cities to the very last minute and when the the count started to rise in the United States states and in Nevada, he, he had the door open and he could easily say, no, I'm going to sidestep this. And I'm going to go where there's almost no disease. I'm going to go to Canada. And he put his two hubs in Edmonton and Toronto. From a a Las Vegas uh, perspective, I would love the hub to have been here. It would have been great great for the community in terms of pumping, you know, renting some hotel rooms all of those things that would have been really nice other than that who cares uh, they're going to be in a bubble you're not going to watch the games you know so it, it didn't really matter but for from the league's perspective the opportunity to be in the safest place possible i i, I just think that he 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 played this like chess while the other guys played like checkers uh, and he was ahead of the game, but also made sure he had a ton of contingencies. I can remember speaking to somebody after the NBA put out their big plan and they said, where's the NHL's plan? And I even, you know, you heard Ryan Kessler and Kevin Bieksa on radio and social media kind of taking shots at the NHL. Well, he, he said early on, he wasn't going to, uh, he didn't want to be first. He didn't want to have other teams follow other leagues following him. He wanted to have the best plan and the the plan that fit his league and that was the safest and the and had the best health and safety plan. And I think he accomplished that. I I, I really have to tip my cap to him.
1: Shane, you played in the league a long time and, and uh, you lost an entire season to a lockout. There have been. There have been bloodbaths over the years between the owners and the players. It's pretty impressive when you, when you think about everything that all of us are going through right now and living through a pandemic. And, you know, we've never lived through anything like this ever uh, in our lifetimes. That all of a sudden the season pauses March 12th that they were able to get uh, everybody on board and everybody pointed in the same direction to hopefully salvage this season and award the Stanley Cup.
3: Well, yeah, and I think, you know, Gary's a lot more forgiving than I with uh, <laughs> Gary Bettman maybe. You talked about that last year. And, you know, credit to Gary and the NHL. But I, I'm more inclined to to say I think Donald Fear and the way the players handled this it, is just as valuable. Sure, absolutely. It, I, I, I know what it's like that. to be inside that. It, it, it is, a, you know, you're talking about seven, 800 guys that you have to bring on board. And having gone through a lockout, I know the internal battles. I, I know... Uh, how vicious it could get at times. And, you know, this is probably similar. Not everybody was on board, but I think they handled it in the right way. And one of the big things is having high-profile players on the return-to-play committee early. Guys like Connor McDavid stepping up. That signals, you know, uh, to the league, hey, we're we're in on this. When you can have those type of players, and it started early on. Uh, so I think, you know, Donald Fear, Matthew Schneider made sure – that from the players' side, they looked at all avenues, tried to answer all questions. Uh, the guys put a lot of thought in it. To to what I've heard is, and it would change. You know, they would think they would have everything planned out and, and every area covered. And the next thing you know, uh, somebody comes up with a question like, "Oh, well, we didn't think of that." So, uh, and, and it is really a credit to both sides, the player association, the NHL, Gary Bettman, Donald Fear, their leadership, uh, not only to get to the return to play, but to extend the CBA by four years. And, and something that I haven't certainly seen in a long time, uh, having been in this league is uh, some labor peace for a while. So they're able to accomplish two major hurdles here to, to allow hockey to be played first and foremost, getting back to the return of the season and for players To compete for the Stanley Cup uh, doing it in what I believe is the safest way possible Uh, they took their time as Gary talked about they made sure protocol safety measures the hub cities uh, you know the phases they've gone through uh, the way I think now and we've talked about how critical this phase is a lot of a lot of the onus on the players to be responsible to to be accountable for how uh, they prepare themselves to enter that uh, secure bubble in the hub cities because I believe once they get there, uh, that's kind of maybe the sigh of relief for everybody. Um, you know, there may be there may be a couple things that come out, but I don't think uh, you know it's going to be that damaging. At least I hope not. And uh, you know, this is this is where we wanted to be, and it's been great to it's been great to watch live hockey here the the <laughs> this week since Monday. I'll tell you, I've enjoyed uh, watching not only the practice but some scrimmage. Uh, actual games played, guys trying to score goals, guys defending everything. So it's uh, uh, it's been a big relief to everybody.
1: No EA Sports video games for Shane and I. Oh yeah, at, at least for now. I'm, anyways. I'm happy to take a break from those. <laughs>
3: I, maybe I just not. I, I won't take a break playing them. I be honest, I go up there and sneak on my son's That's Xbox. Right. But there you go. They're calling them. I'm, I can end that career.
1: Uh, Dan uh, Shane's point about. Um, you know, we're in we're a critical time right now, you know, and this has been kind of talked about in terms of they're not in the bubble yet. That's still about uh, roughly 10 days away. Right. And, you know, they've been asked about this. William Carlson was asked about it recently in a Zoom call with the media. Uh, you know, did the organization offer any advice? And he said, yeah, yeah you know, be smart here. And, and, and we all love the strip. And he said, you got to kind of stay away. You can't do that. They can't risk. Especially now, and as Shane said, once they're in the bubble, they're in the bubble. Testing every day. You know, you go from the hotel to the arena to the practice rink back to the hotel. But this is a, this is a critical time from now until they get to the hubs.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine you're going to bump into William Carlson walking through the aisles of the grocery store in the next couple of weeks here.
1: Um, <laughs> Almost listen, in Cosmo, as much as we love it.
0: No, no. And I, It's both Shane and Gary went through the different sides of this from the the ownership and league side to the players and players association side. I've been impressed from the beginning and they have been judicious and I've followed the major league baseball, the NBA, the NFL. And I think that uh, at least for the four of us who have our livelihood in the sport of hockey, I think we could be proud uh, of how everyone has handled this and uh, therefore, I have the greatest faith in the NHL completing its season amid pandemic compared to the other sports. You know, baseball's, you know, teams are going to be traveling. Um, the NBA, the, the, that situation in Florida with what is uh, just the numbers of the virus in Florida are scary every day. So many NBA players have opted out of that tournament for, I presume, the same fears. There have been a handful of NHL players who have opted out of this tournament, but it seems to me for very specific personal reasons, rather than just throwing their hands up and saying, oh, I don't want to be part of this, but that has been the case in some of these other sports, what the NFL is going to look like in, in coming days and weeks uh, as they get closer to potentially starting the season um, and different uh, different cities talking about having uh, certain parameters. But again, the four of us in hockey is our livelihood. You know, thinking back to the work stoppages in 95, we missed the entire 0405 season, shortened season in 1213. You know, it's like every decade we've got some kind of interruption in this sport. And let's be real. Of the four major league sports in North America, the NHL is the number four sport. And to try to grab some public appreciation to get more fans, people to care about the sport and the league, they've got to do these kinds of things right. They've got to move up that pecking order or at least uh, put themselves in a greater national discussion. And they can do that by executing these things properly and avoiding work stoppages. So here we are in 2020 to know that at least through the 2025 season that we're going to have NHL games. That, I think, is it's great in the here and now on July 15th, as we record this, but just for the, the overall strength of the sport, as it continues to grow um, and not hit any obstacles, any bumps in the road here um, in what will be a critical time for the sport.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, guys. And, you know, we don't want it to sound like we have our head in the sand on what's going on in large portions of this country. The COVID numbers are headed in the wrong way, big time, but with the hockey plan, um, around vigorous testing, everyday testing. Once they get to the hubs, I think they're, and, and they, as you said, uh, as Gary, Shane, they went to Canada, you know, they, they yeah. were not going to risk as much as it would have been great. I, you know, Certainly if they came here to Vegas, um, they were not going to risk that. So get to Canada where the numbers are very low and, you know, they were able to work this out and, and Shane, we've kind of touched on this in a couple of the shows we've done. It is going to be like a, a little slice of hockey heaven, right? Once this gets going, three games a day, sixty-five days, they're going to cram everything in, awarding the cup in early October. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. You'll be able to watch games every day, three, four times a day.
3: Well, I think the best way to relate it to a lot of a lot of the fans is it's a you know it's a version of March Madness. It's like the college basketball. It's it's going to be phenomenal for us hockey fans, and not only calling the games. Uh, it's. I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be locked in the whole time, especially that that first three weeks, three four weeks. Uh, is it's gonna be you know a ton of hockey being played each day, both conferences. Uh, you know, of course, the play in rounds. You got that to begin with. The round robin, then round one. It's. Uh, uh, I'm excited about it. I think, and and that's another thing. Dan touched on. I think this was a great time for the NHL. Not only to do it, but to do it right and jump ahead. They, they do, uh, you know, as you said, the four major sports right now, they look the best here heading in. Not only the return to play, but the format in which they're yep. doing it is largely attractive. And I think it's going to be a home run.
1: 24 teams going to the playoffs, 12 in the East, 12 in the West. Obviously, they expanded from the normal uh, eight and eight in each conference. Gary, we've been, so the, the Gold Knights have had three days of camp now. Uh, As strange as it sounds, opening training camp on July 13th. They've had three days of this. Um, We have not seen Marc-Andre Fleury in these three days. Pete DeBoer has talked about we expect to see him by the end of the week. But they do have two elite goaltenders in in Fleury and Robin Leonard. How do you foresee this playing out? You know, usually in a playoff scenario, you don't play back-to-back days. Uh, you're going to have that in this tournament coming up. Uh, how do you see them doling out the goaltending duties?
2: Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a ton. And, you know, in some respects, you almost think DeBoer should almost go to a strict straight rotation. You know, kind of like... I'm going to play him tonight. I'm going to play him the next night. If this guy, you know, is really good, maybe I play him two in a row. But, uh, like, to keep both of them involved, yeah, the other obviously the traditional thing is if one guy gets hot, you just go with him, uh, and maybe at some point in time you bring in someone else. But you think about all the teams that have won with two goalies in recent years. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the Capitals used both Grubauer and Holtby, the Penguins used, uh, Flurry and, and Murray. Uh, the Blackhawks used two guys. Uh, it's a, uh, it, we've seen a lot of that. It, you know, listen, Mark Audrey Flurry hasn't, uh, has practiced throughout the, uh, phase two. He hasn't practiced yet in phase three. Pete DeBoer has said it's nothing serious. Uh, it was a maintenance day at first. And then he said we'll see him before this week is out. So, uh, um, I I think that you have to, I was listening to Dan this morning and it was something I hadn't have thought of, you know, in one respects, maybe you split the exhibition game. Each guy gets to play half of it. And then, uh, you know, you play one guy in the first round, Robin, in the game, another guy in the second one. And then, you know, you make a decision in the third. I don't think you want to be making goaltending decisions all the time I don't think you want it to be a distraction who's going to play tomorrow I think you want to get it to a point where you know you're 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 going with the guy as long as he's winning and then and you know depending on how he plays maybe you switch it up at certain times but uh Pete DeBoer has had has had really hard goal decisions in the past his last couple of years in San Jose Uh it's been it hasn't been easy for him. He hasn't had a guy that he could really lean on. So I think he's comfortable in that space. He's made no bones about it. It's his decision. He's He's got his hands and his hands alone on that wheel. I think that's, uh, that's an interesting wrinkle here as well. That's not the way it was uh, under Gerard Gallant. So... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a slam dunk that the net is flurries for, for game one. I, I, I would tell you that for sure. Yeah. I think that there's a bit of a competition here. And, and I would think, Gary, that when you read between the lines of Pete DeBoer's
0: words, he's repeated the phrase, we have two number one goalies. There's a reason behind that. While we have been accustomed to Marc-Andre Fleury being the one and only goalie for the Knights during the Stanley Cup playoffs... That appears not to be the case. And even if you compare it to, say, the San Jose Sharks, where Martin Jones was the number one goalie and Aaron Dell was the number two. Remember how Pete DeBoer stuck with Martin Jones when we all thought he was going to switch to Aaron Dell during the first round last year. And then looking at what he did in the six games after Robin Leonard was acquired, it was a straight swap, alternating game after game. And we wondered, we kept asking every day, is someone going to play consecutive games? Is someone going to keep on going here? And Pete was very patient about it. We're just going to keep alternating and we'll play it as it comes. And, And so, and I wonder what you guys think. Rather than waiting for a goalie to get hot, I wonder if the thing that makes the most sense would be alternate the goalies until one stinks it up. Maybe that's the other way of looking at it. I don't know, but like if you... If how, you how do you to, take... How do you, Say one
3: of them throws up a, a donut or one one goal in a 4-1 game. How do you take him out the next game? That's well, yeah. my question. That's, I, I don't know if I, I don't have the answers. I'm just curious. Did that, that happen in you, the regular
1: how, season, though? Did Leonard not pitch a shutout? And then, yeah. This, but this is a regular did. season. No, right. I this understand that. These the are playoff contests. They,
0: they both had shutouts and did not yeah. play the next game in yeah. that stretch of six games. And you know, and then when Leonard played that third game, which was the one in Calgary, he was not good. The team won the game because they scored five goals, but that was after Flurry had played and lost uh, in Winnipeg. Leonard came back, played poorly, but the team still won. And then Flurry came back and played the game against Edmonton and played well, and Vegas won the game in overtime. So uh, it's
2: it's a good question, and uh, I guess only Pete DeBoer knows what he's going to do. Well, Gauthier, you might remember this, gauche. I the, like the last time there was really kind of a rotation. Didn't Don Cherry kind of rotate uh, Gilles Gilbert and, and Jerry Cheevers yeah. and you, and even into the playoffs. And I think that the yep. Bruins kind of flipped uh, Don Edwards and, uh, and uh, uh, Bob Sauvey or,
1: or all the Sabres. Uh, yeah, The yeah, Sabres. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I say
2: the Bruins. Sorry. But like, I, like in modern time, and like, it's Shane, and you, can you remember anybody kind of rotating guys in the playoffs?
1: No.
3: No. And that's why I'm, we'll see. I, I think they're, you know, they're, this is a coach's decision. This is, and there's, you know, how do you make it? Well, there are certain things. They're going to look, first of all, at the opponent. They'll, they'll look statistically, analytically, whatever it is, how that person performs about it. They'll look at play, not only the previous games, they'll look at practice. Uh, you know, they'll look up the matchups. They'll, you know, they'll be intangibles. How's the team going to react? Who's, is that going to matter? Is that going to play in the coaches? And then as a coach, there is a gut check part to it. What is his gut feeling? And, you know, they're going to, he's going to look at all those different scenarios. And that's why coaches, uh, eventually the head coach, that, that decision falls on them. And that's why they're put in that position. But, uh, I, I, I get rotating them. I just don't understand. In a, a tournament that there is such slim margin for error, how if a guy is outstanding one game, how he does not grab that net again, and then they, do you go to you play him till he loses? Like that is that the other way?
1: You've, and you've mentioned this too, Shane. They don't have time to mess around with this, right? No. This comes up real fast. And, you know, you can make an argument, okay, do they rotate them? You're going to have four games before the playoffs, right? You're going to have one exhibition game and three round robins. Do you rotate That'll them in rotation? Those? That'll be a rotation. But those round robin games, they they do have meaning, right? So now you can say if you're the Golden Knights or any of those teams in the top four in the East and the West, even if you don't win the round robin to elevate your, you know, your standing, you're pretty confident, you know, you've had a good season, I think you'll take your chances against whoever you play, but uh, yeah, I think you rotate them those four games. You know, and it happened. You know, Mark Andre Fleury's last season in Pittsburgh, he comes in right uh, for an injured Matt Murray in 2017, wins the first round, wins the second round, and you're, uh, you I think you said, Dan. You know, it, do you, do you play him until somebody plays poorly? Well, he had a rough game against Ottawa in the conference finals early on. Never saw the net again. Matt Murray come in, comes in and. We know the rest is literally his history, but um, I will say this it's a good problem to have the Mm. Chicago Blackhawks right now. Corey Crawford, (laughs) not available, uh, you know, and and we got to know Malcolm Subban during his time here, but right now he could be the guy for the Hawks. So, I mean, the Golden Knights are in a spot where that trade that they made for Leonard. Uh, we all thought it needed to be made at the time. Well, it might even pay more dividend, dividends here over the next few months.
0: Uh, my question to Shane is with regard to the, the team leadership of this. Mark andre Fleury, if he's not in there, I mean— he, we, we've said it for three years now. He's the heart and soul of the team. Robin Leonard just said on a conference call today with the media, "My game is not that reliant on being overly athletic. It's more of reading plays and getting my reactions back. And I think I've been good so far." In other words, Leonard thinks that this is a scenario where he can step right in. Flurry is kind of the other side of that, where he's very athletic. I, like, is it is Flurry's? Heart and soul contributions to the team so valuable that it gets him into a game before Robin Leonard.
3: And it's interesting. I've thought about that a lot. And you just mentioned the two different styles. Uh, I think that's very valuable as well. And and that's why this could depend on the opponent, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. Take a look at which style matches up better against who they're playing. Um, as for the heart and soul, you know, it, it is tough. But, uh, you know, we could say Marc Andre Fleur was. Probably had the same value, the same leadership with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he got taken out there. But the main thing of it all, did they accomplish the ultimate goal? Yes, Um, which is what it's all about. Uh, You know, uh, certainly, uh, I think you know, as as a player, you want your goalie to stop the puck. Yeah, there's always there's always good guys, even great guys. That, that come in and out of the lineup, but you're, you're still valuable how you handle it. And I think Mark Andre Fleury certainly knows how, but he, and, and I'm not saying he, he could be the guy he could go in and, you know, put on the type of performance we're used to seeing where he leads them. But I think either way, he's uh, he's always going to be a team first guy. And I think his leadership, whether he's in or out will help, will still be just as effective.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, guys. And you mentioned Dan in 2017. I mean, uh, if Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't the most popular guy in the Penguins, he was certainly in the top two or three, right? You know, in, in terms of how much he meant to that team. And I remember Mike Sullivan uh, talking to us before a game uh, when we were in Pittsburgh, and he said, some of the most difficult to conversations he's ever had as a coach was to tell Mark andre Fleury he was not going to be playing. So, uh, now, but who knows? And we'll see how this this pans out here. But they do have... Two guys that can play, and they feel two guys that they they can count on, and and I think you're right, Gary. I think open competition is probably a good way to put it.
2: And I think just before before we leave the topic, he, that's a really good point you make about Sullivan, Pete Devore having only been here since January, and and like when did when did Leonard arrive? February? Like he's not he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a huge long relationship with one guy versus the other, that he has to be married to that guy. I think it'll be easier and a little colder and more calculating for Pete DeBoer to make these decisions.
1: Yeah, If Gerard Gallant was still coaching, quite honestly, much different story, much different conversation, much more difficult decision to make. So um, so the goaltending situation. What about the depth of this team, guys? Um, Shane, I guess I'll go to you first. And An intriguing third line to say the least, we've seen over the last few days. different. They've lined up in different spots on that line, but Chandler Stevenson, Nick Waugh, and Alex Tuck. Um, a lot of times in the playoffs, those top two, to, top two lines cancel each other out. You need a third line to come through and at times a fourth line to come through. What do you make of the Golden Knights' depth and especially that, that third line and the makings of it?
3: Well, first off, the advantage of a three-, four-month pause. Everyone gets healthy. Health. Everyone gets deeper. Every team you look you, you start looking at the lines that uh, teams are reporting coming out. and I'm like, whoa, this team's all of a sudden, you know, you, the blues get terraceded. You know it, it's every team that's had health issues, but for the Golden Knights, certainly, ton more depth. Alex Tuck has battled, you know an injury riddled season. has not got back to form. Now we're wondering how that line goes how many conversations do we have all year? They need to find production from the third line? Well, now it looks really good. Size, speed. Strength, skill, uh, responsibility to—I think think they're going to be a a top, not only shutdown line, but a line that can provide offense. So you can either have Waugh or Stevenson in the middle. You got a right or a left-handed shot—that's advantageous for face-offs. Whoever wants to take the strong backhand, you got Alex Tuck with speed. You got Stevenson who can keep up with them. You know, Nick Waugh—I think we all. A ton of respect for what he did when he played here, not not including the amount of travel he put into it uh, back and forth from Chicago. But uh, I think he's got, uh, you know, an incredible stick out there. You know, little signs of kind of Mark Stone-ish ability to steal puck's reach, uh, plays with the puck smart. So, yeah, this is – if they stay healthy and that's your third line – and then, and then Nick Cousins centering uh, Reeves and Carey I really like too because, you know, those are two big men. Nick Nick has uh, some real good offensive instincts, but the thing he has is he has a lot of grit and a lot of nastiness to his game. And I think that that's very important in playoff. He can get under the skin of the opponents. And if you have Ryan Reeves on your wing, I think it's going to go to a new level. Uh, and when, why shouldn't it? And, and Will Carey out there. So uh, that bottom six to me looks a lot better and it is so important you need well you need four line 60 without question here through uh, if you want to do a long ball well, you can even say 14 forwards and 10 d men for a long playoff run but uh, this is a, a deep team and that third line looks uh, I've been very impressed here in the short three days watching them play
0: wouldn't want to play against them right <laughs> no no <laughs> as pesky as it comes well, Dan, and they—they
1: they have not been. They're not the only team that that could say this. You think of the injuries that Columbus has gone through. The Penguins have had key guys out. You can go right on down the line, but the Golden Knights, especially up front, have not been healthy all year long. I mean, it started back in training camp with with Alex Tuck getting injured, Cody Eakin getting injured. You can go right on down the line. At the time of the pause, Patareti Stone. Uh, we're going to be out as well. Tuck had already been out uh, for a good portion of the season. Um, now, finally, and Pete DeBoard touched on this in a, recently, I think he, along with most coaches around the league, are just keeping their fingers crossed. They're all as healthy as they've been all year. How long can you stay this way? You know, they haven't played competitive games by the time they get going in four and a half months. And I, I guess that's, you know, that's kind of a fine line right now of getting them ready for this tournament but also staying healthy at the same time
0: and boy you just think about that one exhibition game against arizona and it's happened each of the last two years where golden knights have had injuries in the final exhibition game you just mentioned it it was this year same thing a similar thing anyway happened the year before too um, not to mention, you know, that the, the Knights the previous year had Nate Schmidt without 20 games. You know, Shea Theodore this coming into this season, coming off the cancer. You know, finally, though, you had Will Carrier play a full season, miss no games, whereas his first two years with the Knights missed a significant amount of time. And uh, and Ryan Reeves didn't miss any games this year, too. Um, Listen, there there is a lot to be said for um, the, the health of all of these clubs that they didn't have, um, but when, when you think about what you've got here, um, like you don't want to dial it back any just to try to stay healthy, right? Like, isn't that one of those things, Shane? You think if you try to play safe, that's when you get hurt?
3: Yeah, that's 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 the exact truth, and you hear guys say it all the time, so. Uh, you, you got to play the games, right? It, it's it's to go out and uh, play the game the right way. I think you know there's are they gonna lay off in certain areas? I think both teams will recognize that uh, maybe to a, a bigger extent this time rather than heading into a new regular season. It'll be interesting to watch that exhibition game against Arizona. but as much as you say that, as a competitive athlete, instincts take over. And a lot of times you forget about, well, maybe I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to finish this hit here or something happened. Next thing you're running the guy over into the boards. It's uh, it's hard to predict. And I imagine uh, they're going to do it to the best of their abilities. They're going to be cognizant of, you know, a little bit maybe. Uh, I don't know if you'll see guys diving in front of uh, shots to block maybe in that exhibition game, but it'll certainly change come around, Robin.
1: Yeah, you know, I wonder, who, Gary. No, no, go, go ahead, if,
2: No, go ahead. Gosh.
1: No, I was just wondering, you know, to the point of, you know, especially we're used to the playoffs over the years and just how intense and how physical it is um, for two months. And I wonder now in the world we're living in, um, contact sport, scrums in the corner, are we going to see that? Are we going to see it right away? I think from an adrenaline standpoint, I don't think there's any question that, especially with what's at stake, you know, this isn't like you're coming back and playing seven or eight exhibition games, and they get 82 games to go after that. A lot of these teams could be coming back. Like, if you're in the playing round, you're going to have an exhibition game. You could play three games. It could be all over. And then you go back home again. So I think the physicality part, as much as you wonder about it, the adrenaline, I think, takes over for that.
2: I think Pete DeBoer can, uh, you know, can lean on his experience coaching against the Golden Knights from last year. When Vegas, you know, they were kind of... Locked in a in no man's land. They couldn't really go up and they couldn't really go down. And their last ten of the games of the season, the last chunk of the season didn't mean anything. And they played that way. And that dragged into the playoffs. The first game of the playoffs last year, game one against San Jose, Vegas played like it was game eighty-three of the regular season. And DeBoer, he'll he'll he's got notes. He, he'll remember that, and he'll he has to drill that into them. You guys need to find some intensity. And those round robin games, there is something to play for. You'd rather be the first seed than the third seed or the fourth seed. So you want to move up if you can. And you have to you have to find that intensity, Shane. I, I think that if you don't hit on a regular basis. The like get has to become a habit and it, you can't just turn that on. I think they need to kind of find that physicality right right out of the right out of the gate. Oh uh, yeah,
3: and I think they will. I don't I don't know if I'm going to expect it against Arizona. I don't know what to expect in that exhibition game. But come the round robin, there's meaningful games. I think Uh, You know, the exhibition game is going to be, you know, a chance for them to get timing, to get to the pace, to get the hands, the feet, to the systems, to to all those little details of the game. And part of that is being physical. Like, you know, Ryan Reeves and Will Carey in particular, those guys play a certain way. They need to play that way. Uh, You got more offensive guys. I think it's about playing to your strengths. What is your game? Um, So... Uh, yeah, I think, without question, the magnitude, the importance of those round robin games. That they'll be ready to go. Then I have a lot of confidence in this team that uh, uh, that they're ready to go. We've heard it from. Them. We've heard all the right things, and it, it's going to be imperative to be that team that's uh, ready to play the right way off the start. And uh, you know, hockey, hockey draws. When you're out there as a player, you're drawn in. There's some games you may not feel it, but there could be something that happens that just draws you into the intensity. And, uh, you know, they'll have to do without fans. That'll be the one thing because sometimes that's a big draw is the energy in the building. So this is going to come from the team, from their players. And that's going to be the other trick for them is to to draw that enthusiasm from within the group.
0: And I'm thinking, Shane, about the, the home fans that normally provide that enthusiasm. But even on the road, you love when you can quiet the opposing fans too. all that's out the window. But at the same time, the home team advantage is not totally out the window as it pertains to getting that last change. And that's why, you know, with the round robin, OK, it's, it's a crapshoot. Like, who are the good teams? Who are the bad teams coming out of this long pause? So to me, it's not even so much the matchups, but you would want to have home ice advantage in quotes having that last change for as deep into this tournament as you possibly could. And I wonder if you can shed some light on what last change means, especially for a Pete DeBoer coach team.
3: Well, it's matchups. It's it's off face offs, your ability to, you know, have your strong center, have your defensive grouping out there that you need to do, in particular, your, you know, your top four D uh the other coach a lot of times in games and a lot of people don't see it the, the matchups you're trying to find you're trying to find a mismatch at some point at the same time you're trying to keep your matchups defensively uh so it's at both sides of it but I think where it's really important is you know whether it's a defensive zone draw late you're hanging on to a uh a one goal lead you want to see who the other coach puts on the ice so you can counter with the group you think is best best suited to defend them. And that it is a huge advantage. Dave and I talked about it uh, on the bulletin the other day that uh, I said, you're not playing for fans, but as Dan, you just said there, there's a huge advantage to home ice and that's the ability to have last change. And you ask any coach that uh, they understand how valuable that is.
1: Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave. podcast brought to you by Findlay automotive, accurate Jaguar Lincoln and Chevy. All right, guys, So you've got 12 teams, in the East, 12 in the West, but we'll stick to the West. We know the Golden Knights are in the top four, so they've got to buy. They'll play the round robin. Could finish anywhere in the top four um, once that's all said and done. Which teams in the West, and we'll start with you, Lawman, put a little scare into you.
2: What do you think? The Blues, for me, is (laughs) I think that this rest, this break, gives them an opportunity to They were fantastic all year. They didn't really have much of a hangover. Uh, they get Tarasenko back and uh, I just, you know, you've got some veteran guys there that know the window, but the opportunity for them to win is very small. How many years does, do a number of those guys have left? And now they're looking at 16 wins and it's, and we get the cup again. That's it. It's, we got to win 16 times now and we, and the Stanley cup is ours. And that to me, that experience that they've just had and this rest gives them a real advantage. Shane, have you broken it down? What do you think? I, I've said this all along. There's a lot
3: of teams that, to me, it's good. look at the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, yeah, yep. so, You know, I, th- I think of three teams with the firepower. It's just, you know, uh, I think of them, I think the Winnipeg Jets and the Edmonton Oilers uh, up front. It, to me, it comes down to who gets the best goaltending out of them, and that would, to me, maybe be the Winnipeg Jets with Connor Hellebuck, who's you know a lot think has a real good shot at the Vesna. Um, those teams are. I agree with Gary. I think St. Louis just their experience, having won it, getting uh, full health. Uh, but uh, the the three teams that uh, kind of I got my eye on just strictly for for their fire pillar power uh, ability to score the Oilers the the Jets and the Avs I just uh, you know a lot of youth up front a lot of skill a lot of talent but uh, and that, and that's why I'm so excited about it. I can say the same thing in the West this is this is impossible to predict I think the Golden Knights have as good a chance as anybody and I think there's a group of maybe five six teams overall when I've looked at it and I have them in there. Uh, as favorites but uh, it's going to be it's going to be a tough cup to win doves how do you handicap
0: it you know we, we look at what teams have done against the golden knights and in particular colorado this year scoring 13 goals in two games against vegas the avalanche have a four game winning streak against the knights going back the last two years averaging five goals per game against vegas so, so they're
1: due for a stinker <laughs> against the VGK. You
0: know, and, and I guess they're still trying to get some payback for the 7 nothing shutout in uh, the first ever meeting way back in October of 2017 when Oscar Dansk shut him out um, in his first NHL start and win and shutout. So uh, as much as the Blues and everything that they've they done. Maybe they put him in against them. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, did Leonard
2: play in any of those games? Because when you talk about style... You know, a, a fast team that can go lateral like that, uh, a guy like Leonard who doesn't move very much in the crease and takes up all of the net, maybe that's an advantage for Vegas. Yeah, and and that's a
0: great, for instance, when it comes to who matches up with who. Yeah, uh, so I, like, it's interesting because the Golden Knights have had some struggles against teams that they should not have necessarily struggled against like going to Minnesota always seems to be a problem for, for the Golden Knights to so the point too. where
1: they pause the season when we we're in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it, it just just isn't working out. So I and Colorado it feels like one of those teams that it, you're walking into a buzzsaw when the Avalanche and the Golden Knights uh, face off. So that that's the one that comes to mind. Uh, the Blues, you know, which goaltender? You know, Bennington, of course, last year, the phenomenal run. Um, Jake Allen has found a lot of success right before the pause this year. And uh, it's, to me, like, which goalie gets hot? You know, like... The Golden Knights have, you know, two two opportunities. Maybe Flurry gets hot. Maybe Leonard gets hot. Some of these teams aren't going to have that that luxury. They they're hoping one goalie gets hot. Uh, and and usually, like you, you can look at a team that might not have been in the playoffs, like Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens. Like Carey Price, boom! And they could how far could they go if he's playing the way he's playing? Uh, the way he can play. So uh, I, I'm looking for who's who's got the hot goalie. But Colorado, with all their firepower, is uh, scary.
1: Yeah, I'd go Colorado and St. Louis. And it's it's funny, Dan, you say, you know, last year with with St. Louis, you know, Jordan Binnington, it, beyond belief. I mean, this, they don't win without him. You know, and here's a guy that they call him up halfway through the year, hadn't really played in the NHL, and all of a sudden leads him to a Stanley Cup. So, you know, some of this you can't, You certainly can't predict it. There's no way you would have sat there even before the playoffs last year. As much as Bennington was on a good run, had never been in the playoffs, untested in the postseason, um, was phenomenal, especially in the finals against Boston in the first period of that seventh game and and leads them to the Stanley Cup. So, yeah, but I think, you know, Colorado with their firepower um, seemed to have kind of sorted out their goaltending. St. Louis, you know, we've talked about getting Tarasenko back. So, um, but yeah, as Shane said, I put the Golden Knights right in that. Especially with the moves they made at the deadline, and the ac- the acquisitions they made to strengthen the team, which I think we all felt they needed, uh, if they were going to be, co- you know, uh, considered a serious contender, they were able to do that. So, well, even more, even go back to
3: the acquisition of Stevenson, right, and and then and then the growth of Nick Waugh, and then you throw okay. Cousins, Martinez, and Leonard in there. That's that's five players that are huge additions. Yep. yep.
0: And don't forget Zach Whitecloud stepping. I was into just going to say him. Whitecloud. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry.
3: Thank you, Dan.
1: You know, five guys that you know. If you start, if you looked back to the beginning of the year, you had some of those guys that weren't even on the team, and other guys that you know came over in trades or whatever the case might be. Early, like a Nick Waugh in the Eric Holla trade, they could all play significant roles uh, in this before it's all said and done. All right, guys. Uh, before we we wrap this up, and we're all looking forward to uh, kind of getting back to what we love to do uh, most. It is going to be much different for all of us this time around, in that. Broadcasters will not be in the building, um, in, I think, in an effort by the NHL to really minimize the amount of people, uh, be it in Edmonton or in Toronto. Um, so it's going to be strange. We will be calling the games from our studios in Vegas, um, and we'll see how it goes. Right. No, I think it'll <laughs> – no, I think it'll – I think uh, Shane and I have the EA sports experience to lean back on, but Shane's done this with World Feeds before, and, he, you know, he's been around. Um, but it will be – Shane, what's, uh, what's, what's the biggest – it's going to be different for you in what way compared to a well, normal deal.
3: Well, it's bigger – it's a different for me. You and Dan, it, obviously you don't have the view of the whole rink or the atmosphere, but you'll see the play as it's happening. They follow the puck, the players – The biggest thing for an analyst is we have input into what's going to show on the TV with our feed. Uh, We can tell and pick the clips and uh, and pick the plays that we like and know what's coming up. Well, not this time. It's one feed. So it's a matter of not only watching the game. The biggest trick, I guess, for myself will be, you know, watching the play. Then we'll get a quick, hopefully, update from a producer or somebody what they're going to show for the replay because I won't know what's coming. And then kind of knowing what led up to that, kind of building to that play, to that replay. So uh, I'm going to have to pay a lot of attention. Uh, You you have to pay more attention attention than usual. Not good to get distracted. (laughs) Uh, And and for Vegas fans, the biggest difference they will see is it won't be majority Vegas Golden Knights highlights. It's going to be more like a national broadcast showing both sides. So there'll be a lot of com- probably more commentary, uh, you know, on both sides. It'll be kind of that 50 50 or even 60 40, depending on the score and how the game is going. But uh, the- and then, of course, uh, you know, we're going to have to create energy, boys. We're going to have to yeah. you know, whoop and holler. How Maybe we should uh, hire- maybe we could pipe sound into our uh, little studios <laughs> into our studio. to get us yep. fired up.
1: That'd be great. Well, that's the thing with, I've, I've thought about dues for us. What Jane mentioned about is you, you are, your vision is limited to whatever you're going to see on that monitor. But also the energy, you know, you draw on the energy, especially in Vegas, you know, the best uh, the best atmosphere in the league. You draw off the energy of the crowd. Uh, but I, I heard you say on the uh, our show this morning, you've got a little experience in this in the, in the college days off the monitor situation.
0: Yeah, a, a little bit. And, and, you know, and, and, and also uh, teach people. Well, the right. Well, yeah. But, but even I was teaching a class uh, at Syracuse University when I was asking the students to do that. Go into a room and do it off a monitor. You're welcome. That's the Syracuse Orange, the Harvard of Central New York, as Sean McDonough would say. Uh, and it's not easy. And, and one of the, I'll, to refer back to what you brought up, Dave, the Syracuse Crunch, the minor league hockey team, Tampa Bay Lightning affiliate, where I was prior to the Golden Knights, they played a game in the Carrier Dome, home of the Syracuse Orange football and basketball teams. And they set up the hockey rink in the Carrier Dome for uh, this special event. They normally don't have hockey in there. They built a rink like it was an outdoor game. They had over 30,000 people for this quote-unquote outdoor game that was actually inside a dome. But you get the idea. They had me broadcast from the 50-yard line of the football field. So 50-yard line of the football field you think would be good, except they set up the hockey rink in an end zone from sideline to sideline. So I had the worst view of the 30,715 people. So I spent most of the game with my back to the ice looking at an HD TV screen. And by the way, thank God for high-definition widescreen television. Imagine trying to do this off the old kind of TVs. (laughs) Well, who the hell was in charge of that operation? (laughs) I know. We went on the road to Glens Falls, and when I came back, they changed everything on me. But I'd say that tape is what I had my students do in class because I knew that they would complain how this will be so hard to do off a screen. I said, I know it's hard because I did it when it actually yeah. happened.
2: <laughs> so
0: Don't so tell it's me. not easy. Yeah, it, well, I, You're I, trying I, to scare Dave. There you go. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking I might though. not
1: participate in the broadcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and it's also, I'm I just going to add that the, the, the things that, I, I'm just a little bit concerned about will be stuff that's not necessarily on the screen, like when the referee puts his arm up, you know, when there's a race for the puck, if it's an icing, if there's a line change, which group is coming on, all of those things where we are not looking at the puck or where most fans might be looking. So much is happening away from the puck that helps us paint the picture and anticipate what might happen next. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can get those things. Uh, You know, sort of adjust our reflexes so we can capture all that. I I think,
3: just to that, Dan, I think we are getting a one shot. So you might have two monitors, one with like the full ice surface. So it'll be on your partner to kind of look for that ref's hand. No pressure.
1: Well, man, we're going to need you to pay attention here. What do you think? (laughs) What what do
3: you think about this? Well, for me, this
2: is going to be very different because obviously I'm not a former player like Shane and don't see the game. Like Shane sees the game quicker than me and and knows what's happening or has just happened and can distill it in a sentence. He's as good as anybody in the business at that. So this is an edge for him. He's going to be fine in the situation. My ability is uh, years as being a reporter and working a dressing room and working the coach's office and picking up all kinds of little tidbits that... The the fan would doesn't can't get himself or herself, and then being able to to sprinkle those into the broadcast. Well, that's been taken away from me. We're gonna we're not gonna have access to. Uh, I can't walk into the like the pregame skate, you walk into the dressing room and you just walk around and you ask each guy a quick question and take a couple notes. And then all of a sudden, you know, your bucket is full and you can empty that bucket during the broadcast. So, um, uh, listen, I I'll, I'll work the phones. I'll find ways to get as much information as I can. Uh, and, uh, I guess I'll have to. uh, I'll have Shane in one. I'll have Shane in one year, and I can listen to what he says and steal, steal from him. Maybe no. I'm I'm excited. Listen, I think it. I think they'll be fantastic. I think that our radio broadcast is unique. I think our television television broadcast is unique. And I think that uh, we will bring. We'll find a way to do a great job, and the, the hockey fans in Las Vegas will
3: be served well. I agree. And if Gary's going to do some phone work, nobody does it better. Like, nobody's better. <laughs> There's at no on doubt the phone about than it. Than I can't tell if this mag. is a
2: compliment or a jab. There's a little, <laughs> a little bit of bit both, of, kind well, of probably, isn't there. It's combination, <laughs> <a>
1: combination situation. <laughs> My experience calling games off a monitor would be this: uh, Shane and I did a six-game series with the Golden Knights and the Nashville Predators EA Sports simulated games. Golden Knights won the series four games to two. Um, we also did another game it was the Golden Knights against the all time all stars. So we did that game. And um, then when I was in college at Boston University, I called video games in the dorms uh, Nintendo video games, usually after a couple of sodas. So that's my experience of calling games off a of monitor. <laughs>
2: do we we'll need sodas? Yeah. So. <laughs> do we need a Do we need
1: a sponsor? It wouldn't hurt. We'll see how it goes. No, I think it'll be I think it'll be awesome. I, I think it, look, this is uh unique times, unique circumstances and uh, you know, all followers have a blast with with what we do and hey yeah, it's going to be a little have a little different uh, wrinkle to how we do it, but no, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be fantastic. Can't get here. Can't get here quick enough. So uh I think it'll be great. All right, boys. I think we kind of covered everything uh, of note here. Lawman, do we miss anything you'd like to chime in with here, or are we all set? Uh,
2: I think we did. That's uh, about it. I think we did a good job. What's our time at? We're, uh, we're, we're at 40, almost an hour. That's perfect.
1: Yeah, that's a, yeah, people have heard enough of us yes. right now. No question about it. So, All right. The Sheriff Lawless Some Guy Named Dave podcast, uh, sponsored by the official Downtown Hotel of the Golden Knights, the D-Hotel. And uh, we can't get uh, wait to get this thing going on radio and on television. Can't start soon enough. We'll talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast.